You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to episode 167 of Drinks with Tony with my guest, Kurt Baumeister. He's the author of Pax America. And away we go into Hollywood, Hollywood, into holiday season. The holidays are always so weird for us ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was going to chat about that, but I'm just going to say that. And any ex-Jehovah's Witnesses listening, I'm waving to you. And yes, it feels weird here too. Now let's talk to an author about writing and storytelling because it's my chosen religion and the gods are begging for a good chat. Hi, I'm Kurt Baumeister and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Kurt Baumeister. His book is called Pax Americana. Kurt, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me, Tony. I really appreciate it. It's, yeah. I'm psyched about being here, man. It's, it's been so hard to try to sync up schedule-wise, so I'm so stoked to finally get you. And, oh, and, and a lot of that's just... on my end. A lot of that's my fault. <laughs> this is coast to coast, too, right? You're in L.A.? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm in DC or DC area. So, and you and you read a month. You said you read a month ago with uh, Beth Lissick at yeah in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, we had um, seven thirteen books, which I'm an editor for. It's Leland Chuck's and can publishing, I uh, can I, I don't I hate interrupting you like this, but can I? Yeah, say, don't yeah, sure. I'm a fan. Yeah, I, I, I mean, with when you guys put Beth Lissick's book out, and I'm like, oh my god, and talking to Beth about how wonderful it was to work with you guys. I'm um, just like, oh, thank and I And I knew Leland from way back when. And it's just, yeah, I, it's all the, all it is is bubbly love from over here. It's, I it, love it's, it. it's true. I, I heard about that in your, I heard that in your interview with Beth um, about how much you loved. And I was, I was actually talking to Leland uh, chatting on DM a little earlier and, and, talking to him about that. I can't take any credit for Beth's book, Leland. That's before my time, but um, she's, she's awesome. He's done it. He's done a great job. I mean, I'm, I was really psyched when he asked me if I wanted to, to join in and, and be an editor there. Um, Cause it kind of, kind of came out of the blue and, you know, we'd been friends, but um, you know, it was great. Um, how so, did it come out of the blue? Were you just hanging out and he goes, Hey, what, yeah, do, you, we what, just, what do you got? What, what why let's work together you're beautiful you're gorgeous you're you're yeah you're, you're you have lovely eyes i want to see your eyes so i mean you know it was it was um we'd known each other online for a while um for a little while you know writing community type stuff and um You'll have to excuse me if my if my view gets a little skewed here. I've got my laptop up, and then behind that, I've got a bigger monitor. So I'm like seeing you and myself both in duophonic vision, kind of. <laughs> it'll just, it'll just what it'll do is it'll just increase the conflict and anticipation of what's coming next for the listener. So, got it. Got it. Um, yeah. So so you know we were friends and. Um, and we hung out a bit at the AWP in Portland in 2019. Um, you know, had a had a couple of meals together. You know, just hung out and um, yeah, and and we just started. Actually, I think one of the one of the main things that we we first started doing together was talking about politics, because we both come to the conclusion that you're really better off not talking about politics on social media <laughs> ever. And Oh my God. Thank you. Can you like, just, can you tell the whole world that? Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and right. So like, and, and we were, we both were both, you know, avid followers of it. And, and I myself, yeah, I had, I had gotten roped into one too many discussions and it was the whole, you know, the whole, freaking trump and you know hillary and just i mean it was just like such a such a buzz kill the whole thing i mean it was just like it just so anyway so leland and i kind of started 
talking about politics more. And, you know, that allowed a, both, both of us to avoid getting online and pissing people off. So, you know, and we pretty much agree with each other. He's a little more like, we kind of like have the same views, but he's a little more left and I'm a little more center. But mostly what we argue about is like rhetoric. And we'll, we can go, I mean, this obviously two writers, right? All you're going to do is argue about rhetoric. Like he'll say something and I'll say, well, that's not, you know, that's not exactly true. I, I, you, just, you just gave me an idea for your podcast with Leland. He's a little on the left. I'm a little <laughs> in the middle. Right. I, I, and let's work on the tune for that opening. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, we've, we've talked about a few different, we had, a, we had an idea for doing an evil book reviews podcast where we just like, would just like do the reviews that nobody, you know, everyone's scared to do harsh reviews now because everybody just expects, you know, everybody expects every review to be five stars now. And if you go, you know, if you yeah. get off that line, you can just it, get. That's strange because I, I, I've re, I'm glad you brought that up because um, the, the, I've probably gone after more books after bad reviews from critics that's interesting because they because they say why they don't like it and they get into the specifics and i'm like oh my god i would never be this person's friend and (laughs) and he hates it this much i'm getting that book and it's, (laughs) it's it's just like i i think it's really we need to have very opinionated people out there if they're going to be reviewing books that's yeah. I mean, that's that's the problem. Like, I review a fair number of books, and I'm, and you know, I'm pretty generous in my reviews because it's just you know where we're at is not negative reviews. Now that said, um, I enjoy the hell out of negative reviews. Like reading, uh, gosh, who was who was Dwight Garner? um reviewing last week oh gosh i don't remember who it was but he was just like ripping it up and down and it was funny i mean i don't know if he's right or wrong i'm you know that's sort of beside the point he's just was being hilarious and you know that's kind of like somebody like martin amos or some you know that's that's the sort of reviewing and and that's what I think of as, you know, that's sort of the book reviewing that you think of when you think of book reviews, you know, the, the hated critic that's just got their, you know, acid pen and they're, you know, just, just mocking authors. Um, <laughs> well, and, and even like when people, ha- I hate it when, um, I mean, this happened on Jesus Jerk the film and it was because publicity was, it, it was just, it was, um, I mean, I, the, publicity was stupid just off i mean i don't even know where their brains went for the so they sent it to all the wrong people they sent it to they i don't even think the publicists watched the film they were just like oh i think this goes to the christian uh movie to jerry falwell no and then so they all they like tore it apart like it was a terrible film and i'm just like and i'm like oh you know those bad reviews are ill-informed I, you know, I wish they would have, right. I wish, I wish someone who did uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower reviewed it. And if they didn't like it, I want to know why they didn't like it. And I would totally respect that and trust that. But it went to all the Christian reviewers and I'm just like, you guys are yeah, out of your gonna, mind. Oh no, they're gonna. Yeah. But, I had a couple of yeah. Christians who opined on, on um, Pax Americana. And that was, that was kind of interesting. Um, yeah. It's, it's just, but, it's, it's there. You already see the bias there, but you know, I, I've seen there were there. Um, I got a, uh, very, uh, poor review in the Boston globe for when Jesus jerk mm-hmm. came out, but, um, I got a half a page in the Boston globe. All you got to do is go, thank wow. you so much. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the thing, and, right? Yeah. Let it be. Yeah. I mean, um, I read, I, yeah, I read, um, it must have been so cool working with Eric Stoltz. Um, I oh, really, he's uh, fantastic. He, he's, he's a great actor, man. I am. Um, he's yeah, a great person. I, That's what's, he's yeah. a great person and he's yeah. creative um, beyond belief. He's, he's passionate and creative and his energy just, it, it was, 
my mind was blown. I was, um, you know, I was starstruck at the beginning. And then after a while, yeah, you're yeah. working together and you're like, I hate your guts because of blank, blank, blank. But it's, uh, but the creativity and he'll, the fight that he does to stay creative is gorgeous, gorgeous to be around. Um, but I mean, it's, it's interesting what you said though, because it, it does like, when you're looking at reviews as sort of like sport, you know, kind of like when you're, you're talking about politics, like they're sports or you're talking about sports, like they're sports, you know, it's sort of like, it's, 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 it's not real almost. It's like, you just treat it as this object. And then, so I'm saying, Oh, ha ha. It's really funny how, uh, Oh, it was, you know what it was. It was Dwight Garner. Uh, I think it was reviewing Joyce Carol Oates, some sort of omnibus of something that she'd put out. Um, and, you know, that can be funny, but obviously if it's a friend of yours or it's your book, that's a totally different story. Or if you're trying to say, you know, or if you're trying to look at it and say, you know, what are the facts here? Like, is this accurate? You know, it's almost, that's like a sort of a different plane of consideration from, you know, is it funny? You know, yeah. um, is, it, is it amusing as a takedown? I mean, it's reviewing's tough. I mean, it's oh, it's especially now when um we're all connected and and review and review. You know, it's it's so much different back in the day to get a review that's in a major newspaper. You know, and then sometimes I see these reviews and I know the reviewer is a friend of the person who wrote the book. And I'm going, you know, um, that's when it's just like, of course you're not going to say anything because you want this person to blurb your book, your next book. It's yeah. it's kind of too incestuous now. There's yeah, that's yeah, that's something Leland and I have talked about a bit too. It really is. It's kind of yeah, it's it's just kind of a morass. It's an ethical morass right now. The whole reviewing game, but um, yeah. So so getting back to Leland, um, you know, just uh, he said, hey, do you want to, uh, you know. Do you want to come on board and and edit some books? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. acquire so and edit some books, and I was like, eh, yeah, okay, that sounds kind of cool. So, uh, last I've spent the last six months reading manuscripts, and I've got I've got one that I've signed, um, and I can't say who it is because there's there's an issue with. Um, a small publisher being a little well we're a small publisher too but with somebody being a little bit difficult for this author so i can't i can't oh, mention who it I, is and i won't say a thing but after the interview please remind me so we can discuss it and i <laughs> I, I probably have a similar opinions about that publisher it's so funny how publisher um publish what do you call it publishers uh reputations get around really fast yeah and this is like it's yeah it's 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 yeah I'll, I'll tell you all about it it's it's pretty uh it's pretty crazy actually um and i there's another one i'm looking at right now that i think i may pick up um so is but, this this is based on submissions and then you're just kind of going through the pile and going you know what this can work for us and you and leland discuss it and go what can we do with this author he's given i mean he's given me autonomy and the ones i pick and mm-hmm. you know obviously i mean he's picked the ones he's picked most of them that he's yeah. picked and edited them and then we have another editor that was on board before um i was and she's edited a few now so cool. she, she pretty much picks up her own books um you know but i i talk to him about it because i don't want to you know you don't want to by the same token i mean you want to have autonomy but you also don't want to like you know he did start the the press and you know he's the publisher you don't want to like you know create a situation where he's like oh my god what are you you know what are you doing well you have to be on the same page because i because the publisher is kind of a brand to itself so it's just it's does this fit with us it could be a great book. It could be the best book you've ever read. But if it doesn't fit with you, you just got to go, ah, man, you know, yeah, have fun, but it's not us. You know? <laughs> the, the good thing about uh, Leland and myself is that we're both Martin Amos fans. So we kind of and that's was kind of one of the things we bonded on first, because there aren't a lot of Martin Amos fans out there, particularly in the American, uh, you know, indie lit world it's not really a martin amos 
scene. I am drawing a complete blank. What has Martin Amos written? Well, um, he wrote London Fields and Money is Money is the book of his that that um, winds up on like you know top hundred all time novel British novel lists. So, and so stuff if like I was going to read him, is Money the first one to read? And then I can have a this? Gosh, you know, then I get uh, my favorite's London Fields, which is okay. the book right after Money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've read that one six times. Um, oh, okay. So I'm reading yeah. that one. If you've put six yeah. times effort into reading it, I can do it once. You might, you know, you might find it interesting. Is one of the things that really appealed to me about it was it's kind of, um, there's a whole angle that's about the apocalypse and mm. like it's sort of man-made kind of apocalypse and there's kind of a metaphorical apocalypse going on between the characters and there's a lot of vague stuff about god and you know that and it's but it's humorous it's, I, it's i'm a fan it's already like a, I, it's my next yeah. it's my next pleasure to read that sounds great <laughs> and there's a lot of sex in it and it's and the prose is the prose is great so oh but good. that's it's from because i'm not getting any so that'll help thank you <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. You got to. I mean, you got to do it somewhere. Right. Um, but that's from the. Uh, he's his father's Kingsley Amos, who's kind of a lucky Jim, the Green Man. Kind of. Um, he was a kind of famous British writer. Um, you know, more of the like fifties hmm. and sixties, and then Martin Amos's sort of um, high point was like. Um, mid late 80s to mid 90s um he wrote a book called the information which was which was a big book london fields was a new york times bestseller um times arrow other times arrow was shortlisted for the booker that's that's a pretty short book it's like a basically a novella Um, what isn't what i mean getting even nominated for the man booker prize that's something that every writer wants in life oh god yeah yeah and this was yeah i mean yeah yeah so um i mean there's an interesting story about amos that amos is he's he's like a sort of a provocateur and he's he's gotten people mad on plenty of occasions and there's a lot (laughs) of sort of uh negatives out there but um like london fields supposedly the story goes that there were three final booker judges and two of them wanted london fields to have the booker the full booker and the chair was like it's misogynist and nope we're not gonna Uh do it so she was like (laughs) yeah so then the next one got but at the same time what was it i mean is it a character that's misogynist or is it just like this or is this like, Ooh, this is misogynist, like propaganda. <laughs> I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, I think um, I've talked about this with, with folks with Leland a little bit. And like, I think the thing with Amos is that he's, he's very acerbic and he's um, he makes fun of all his characters and whether they're men or women or whatever. And I think that sometimes people just focus on who he is and that he's making fun of X character or he's saying X thing. And they don't sort of take it in context that he's like, like that he's just this hard on all of his characters he's just mocking basically mocks his characters a lot it sounds Um, like the human condition because uh, when you really think about it we're all idiots so it's right 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 totally um yeah so um but yeah i mean you know but i'd have to say that um you know i don't read him that much anymore and i haven't for a long time i read him in grad school a lot Mm -hmm. um but you know and he's put out a bunch of books since then but um hasn't you know sort of hasn't had the same notoriety but he's kind of at a level where you know he's got a couple mansions and he just sort of you know 
does his thing. I think he lives in Brooklyn now. In oh, yeah. Big joint in Brooklyn. Um, That's all, nice all the misogynists go to Brooklyn. Right. So. Exactly. You got, you got to. Um, he's a nice dude. I mean, uh, have you met him? At yeah. signings. Yeah, I've met him a couple times at signings. He's super nice. You know, he he slows the, you know, book functionaries down when they're trying to, you know, usher the lunatics that are bothering him with questions like me out of out of line, you know. So he's pretty cool. Um, but like but he's acerbic. And, um, you know, I think uh, you got you got to read some of his stuff and All right. get more of a sense for it. I, I'll, I'll, um, I'll read London, the London Fields. Is that what it's called? London I'll, Fields. I'll, I'll read that and then we'll be in touch and I'll let you know. Okay. Uh, okay. I'll let you sounds know good. my professional opinion. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds yeah. good to me, man. And that's what's great about this because it's it's just like we're, you know, we're writers, but we're but we're fans. I just I, I'm always I always come to this. I'm a fan first. I I thirst great stories you know and it's and yeah. i think all of us do that's and so it, cool yeah it's what there's no other reason to really be in this game <laughs> we it's right. not as there's it's there's not. no 401k <laughs> yeah. yeah it's not it's not loot it's not that lucrative although movies who knows but um you would know better about that than i do um well i, I didn't make any money on jesus jerk really yeah, <laughs> yeah I, to to my to the horror of my film agent my literary agent who both dropped me <laughs> oh but um Jesus. but i still i am still uh, in touch with them and i adore what what they um, what they did and what they were doing but i don't know if the movie would have ever gotten made if uh we didn't go uh low budget on it so mm. yeah. and eric didn't get paid either he was on um oh Jeez. he was on D, uh, he was on minimum DGA for a small budget and he even cooked his, he cooked his, well, I don't want to say, I can't say, I can't say. <laughs> don't say cooked. Yeah, yeah. He, he cooked us a nice uh, vegan uh, meal during one of the, oh, yeah. and that's, that's all there is to say about that. Right. <laughs> um, do you like, um, do you like screenwriting better than, than writing novels, fiction? No, um, but I do, but I do like the two mediums uh what but if there's a gun to my head and they say uh you can never write novels or screenplays for the rest of your life which one is it and i could toss screenplays out the window i'm uh, i it, it's all novel for me but um but i do love it's i didn't think i would love this but i do love the formula of screenwriting and um i you know i'm not uh what do you call it uh, uh i'm not you know Hollywood isn't coming knocking on my door or anything, <laughs> but, but I do, I do enjoy, I mean, I love film. I'm a fan of film and I'm, it's so when something that can be monumentally screwed up on so many levels with hundreds of people working on it and they actually right, get right. something out of it, that's, that's like magic. Um, on the novel, we could screw it up ourselves and that's on us. And I love those high stakes where it's just on us. Whereas if what's you're... Your... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. I, I told well, you I was going to ask what your favorite, what your favorite movie is. Oh, there's so many. What my favorite movie is right this moment as I'm looking at you in your eyes. I'd say eight and a half Fellini um, just comes to mind immediately. Um, it's funny. You were, I think you were in, in the thing with Beth, you were talking about, um, she was talking about how her agents tried to get her to put something crazy in Edie on a green, green screen to put some crazy ending in it that this is what people expect. And you were talking about how that would be like throwing a bunch of bunch of explosions in Fellini and like oh, yeah. people are expecting explosions. Come on. I know. Yeah, it's it's uh, that. And that's why I just kind of don't. That's why no one's knocking on my door too much. Because <laughs> I, I just no. I'm good at no. But I mean. Like this, like this, I, I teach, I teach screenwriting. So this last week, all my students had to watch Uncut Gems with uh, Adam Sandler. And, yep. the, and the first time Seen I that. watched that, I didn't, I was kind of like iffy about it. And then I watched yeah. it, I watched it again and I'm like, Better. yeah, I'm like, you know what? This is good. Oh yeah. My, my opinions changed, but 
it's also I had to put together, you know, I put together a question sheet for them to go through and hit what, you know, what are the act breaks, what, what you know, what's problematic, what works for the story. So when I'm creating that for them, for the assignment, I'm all, I also have to do that work. And then all of a sudden, sometimes my view changes. And I do like presenting movies that aren't great. I'm, it's, it's like, let's watch, you know, everyone everyone let's let's all watch Fellini let's all watch yeah. these grand movies and I'm like let's yeah. watch some crap got made because <laughs> getting made is a, you know that there's even um yeah. Mark Wahlberg movies I, I Spencer Confidential that delighted me to no end it is really? such a stupid movie <laughs> <laughs> just and I adore it and I and I assign that too to you know and it's just like and one of my questions to the classes especially if it's a Mark Wahlberg movie there's always a question, when do we see Mark Wahlberg's abs? Because there is not a movie out there that does not showcase his abs. And they should always showcase his abs because he starts working out at four in the morning and he works out six hours a day. That's so nuts. abs are in the contract. He's, he's like, he's like, must be like 50 years old now. I would think so, yeah. That's crazy, man. You look at guys like that or like Brad Pitt or somebody like that. It's like, this is just not fair. I mean, it's just not right. <laughs> they, they look like that. I really seriously. I mean, WTF, man. Yeah. Ugh. Well, one of my favorite movies that kind of got me through my 20s when I was really depressed was Johnny Swade, which is uh, Brad Pitt's first film as, uh, as the uh, main actor. Know. Yeah. I don't know that. No. The, um, and it's, and it, I would, yeah, it's a, uh, uh, anyway, that movie meant everything to me for like two years as I was trying to get out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. So it was, uh, I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though. That was, that oh, was, I really dug yeah. that much. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Have you read the book? Love Tarantino. I love Tarantino so much. Yeah. Yeah. I have the book. I still haven't read it yet. I'm just sitting on my shelf. Yeah, I started it. It's, um, it's, it's good. It's, it's not, uh, I think I was reading something about writers, writers or something today. And it's not, it's not literary, you know, Yeah. but is it entertaining? It, but it's, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. entertaining. And it's no, it's, it's, it's good. Um, it's good. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think probably it must've been tough in a way because he's got fu money so it's not like he's going to put up with 50 different people rewriting something that he's written you know you just know it's not i mean it's that's not the deal i mean it's like when don delillo sends in a novel you know he doesn't there aren't people editing that and just saying well i think his comma should go or he's just i mean yeah and i'm sure tarantino's kind of you know it's kind of like that people just aren't going to you know get to that granular level and I think it may be the kind of situation where if it had gone through a few edits, it, it might have might have improved. But it's good. I liked it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't wait to read it. Um, it's also on my tree. But yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it since opening day. I, we went to the new Beverly. Really? Yeah. Uh, at Quentin Tarantino Cinema. We had to see it there. Oh, really? Row on 35 nice. or 70 millimeter or whatever it was on and um nice and i got it i still i need to watch it again but i adore that film so much yeah yeah so we just had awkward silence what did you think of that i don't know it was kind of awkward but <laughs> like hit me with hit me with an awkward question <laughs> no it's just we just we we both went into the the loving uh, visualization of what was once upon a time. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Tarantino. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Why is every Hollywood, movie, I mean. though, named after once upon... Why is everything once upon a time in something or other? I mean, there's like once uh, upon a time in Hollywood, once upon a time in Mexico, once upon a time in America, once upon a time in Mars, Las Vegas, Candyland. Yeah. I don't know. What else? There's a lot, and there's a lot more once upon a times we can put a title onto. You know why? Because they can, because you can slip it in. Like you could say once upon a time in Vancouver, and people will accidentally grab that book because they thought they ordered once upon a time in Hollywood. It's a ruse. <laughs> it, it is a ruse. I mean, but you know, it's a good ruse. I mean, you got to give people their props for what they're doing. I mean, it's 
it's one of those phrases, right? Once upon a time is just like, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know if you'd call it cliche, you just sort of seminal or it's yeah. kind of both, you know, it's like, it's just like at the heart of heart of stories, you know, that sort of like here, just suspend your disbelief. Don't worry about what today is or what tomorrow is. Here's, here's a story from way back. Um, that's that's a good point because it's it is bringing us into here suspend your disbelief suspend your disbelief is that the phrase i just forgot it um and and so you go once upon a time in my bedroom and then but when you hear that once upon a time it kind of goes oh we're in for something it's a it's a nice way to say we're in for something right 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 yeah. yeah I don't think Without, I could ever start with Once Upon a Time, but, you know. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I think uh, I did. I did actually just publish a story that I started with Once Upon a Time. And it's in Once Upon a Time in the 1980s in America. Ellipsis. No. It works. It's just, yeah, it's just, you know, whatever. I mean, stories You are do great. whatever you want. Yeah, stories are great because even before there was publishing, there was the there was the fire, there was the tribe. Once upon a time, our ancestors, you know, went and got this bull, and and everyone's listening, and it's just and it's kind of it. I just love that, you know, the me the medium changes, but all stories are kind of the same. You know, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it must be interesting to to really focus on the differences between uh, film and, and and paper stories, and then the sort of intermediate step, which is the you know screenplay yeah. uh, treatments treatments kind of intermediate between the the novel and the and the screenplay. But yeah, I and, mean, it's, and realizing that um, so many people tell the story when it comes to movies. Uh, I was just, I, th- I think I was talking to my uh, students this last week where there was a, um, when we, the first screening of Jesus Jerk, the final cut, um, which I hadn't seen and no one had seen. And we were, we were all at a, a theater in Los Angeles and uh, the wardrobe department was there and I was talking to them after. And they were just, they were going over every aspect of what everyone was wearing and in the scenes and how, um, they're like, oh my God, like they made the right choice. They, it's, and it's just everyone's in it for their angle on the story. And even wardrobe is wor- when they're watching a movie, they're like, did we make the right choice in this scene? And right. it just, it, there's so much creativity around it when you look at, when you see how excited they are or how like, how nervous they are that they screwed up. And then afterwards they're all, I think we did good. <laughs> so. It's it's fascinating to me, though, um, reading some of your bio and, um, you know, thinking about the whole Jesus jerk kind of thing that you don't seem obsessed or, you know, even really that interested in that at all at this point. I mean, you really made a you really made a clean break past. I mean, (laughs) You know, like oh, you really you made talking it. about getting out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You made yeah. a full extraction. With... Um, it looks like a clean break, and I'm glad it. <laughs> and I'm glad it looks that way. But it was years of therapy and lots of uh, lots of tragedy and lots of overcoming things on the way. Are I'm your still folks still? It. Yeah, your it's, folks are still in that religion. Or... Um, kind of. It's. You know, they, I think they have a finger in it. Nothing like when I was growing up. When I was growing up, my so parents were yeah. very different people. And um, I remember when when they uh, when Paul came in, <laughs> who played the father in the movie, when he came in for, after uh, wardrobe and makeup, he looked exactly like my dad in the 1980s. Really? I was like, I was like, did you guys see a picture? <laughs> it, it blew my mind. And and like even his just the tightness of his muscles in the seats i'm going that was dad. like stressed dad dad, dad yeah, drink like 12 cups of coffee up. i was like wow it was um so yeah um 
Yeah, I don't know. It's I'm still working through it, and it's it, I I think I'm lucky that I got a story out of it, and um, and I then there's also people. There's a lot. There's a population of the ex Jehovah's Witness community that hates my guts because I didn't do it, and you know I didn't call out the Jehovah's Witnesses as they should have been called out, and I'm like the story wasn't for you. You know, I didn't, I did not write this for you. I wrote this uh-huh. for an audience. Yeah. You didn't do it as a political statement. You just did it as right. a personal. And I didn't, and especially, I mean, that's what was great working with Eric. Cause he understood in the book that um, I never badmouthed the Jehovah's witnesses in any way at all. Mm-hmm. And that, and I've had like extra witnesses go, Oh man, you really shoved it to him. So, and I'm like, Oh, you didn't read the book closely. <laughs> the Jehovah's Witnesses are never made fun of. The joke is never on the Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, it's always on me or the or other things about me. And we knew that in the to translate it to film, there was um we had to make sure there was no jokes that landed on Jehovah's Witnesses. The jokes had to land on the characters. And that was just your choice. I mean, that was that wasn't um, it's something you were doing to. It. I'm sorry. I was pretty adamant about that. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, like it wasn't right. That was your. That was how you felt. It wasn't like there were people in the background saying we can't make fun of the Jehovah's Witnesses because they'll protest or oh, whatever no, no, will yeah. happen. That was yeah. me from the start of the novel. So. Well, yeah that 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 was um and that was also i had it's weird because i had because if if me personally if i was just going to write a memoir it went and went straight memoir on it there would have been too much anger in it and that's yeah and i have that anger i still have that anger but i don't care you know so it's it's a novel novel. i haven't read it it's a novel huh okay but it's it's about i mean it's almost more true than a memoir would be. I would think that's, that's what I try to it's because I was going back and forth on it and it made more sense to just go, you know what, it's a novel and let's just let these characters go through right. as a novel. Right. And then that way I can separate myself enough. So then there's empathy through the whole thing where if it, right. uh, where I have way more anger inside but i don't want i that doesn't make an interesting story to me i want all the elements of a story to come together yeah so i mean like pax americana is to a great extent is about religion um but to your point um and 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 i wouldn't say that i you know i'd say there's definitely some cutting sort of um um takes on religion um but ultimately, the book is not anti-religion. It's um, or it's it's not anti. It's not really anti anything. It's um, it's more about the fact that we just don't know as humans that we that we really don't have. Um, you know, I very much see myself as agnostic at this point. You know. The, the better aspects of religions, the, the ones that, you know, you know, unify people, that make people happy without hurting other people, um, those seem like really cool things. And yeah. it would be great if they were real. You know, it would be great if, like, there were a cool Jesus and <laughs> he, he weren't like, he wasn't like, okay, you 94% of people that didn't, didn't do things well enough, you're going to hell. So have fun burning for eternity. And I want then, cool Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I totally want cool Jesus. I mean, and and I, on some level, I still believe a little bit in cool mm-hmm. Jesus. I think yeah. if there is a Jesus, he's got to be cool Jesus. If there's an Allah, he's got to be cool Allah. You know, um, he's not the, you know, let's go kill all the unbelievers because we're the only ones that are going to get to heaven that's the stuff that really, you know, just sort of like my mind ultimately just kind of like caught on with all the different religions, the fundamentalists within those religions are so sure that they're right about everything. And they're totally in disagreement, violent disagreement with each other. And it's kind of like, well, 
So you got this one and this one and this one. They can't all be right. And most likely they're probably all wrong. Yeah. Or maybe they're all a little bit right. You right. know, um, there so could be, I, there, yeah, it's like there could, you know, it's like in Christianity, there's like 80% great, but the 20% that's bad is really bad. Right. <laughs> it's like, right, right. It's, it's, you know, it's, um, it, and it's just, you know, I think, um, I don't know if, you know, if there was a Jesus, there probably was some type of Jesus, but I think yeah. it's been man, manipulated. It was manipulated for the benefit of people who want power and that's yeah i think so and that's kind of everything you know it's uh feels like they manipulate uh in general and then um and then we get screwed by it and then we don't even have we can't even get jesus on record (laughs) i can't even get a jesus cd anymore it's all digital i know i I, what the hell I try to call Jesus and go, can you confirm these quotes? And the, and it just, it's, it's, uh, it's, silence. <laughs> it's always busy. <laughs> it's the, the, the spiritual switchboard is not working. I know. What's that's, that from? Do you know what that's from? I don't. What's that from? That's from, um, oh gosh, do I forget? It's the Emilio Estevez uh, race car driver movie from the late nineties. The uh, free Jack. I never Mick saw that. Jagger's in it. Wow. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is in it. It's, what a, it's sci-fi. What a great line. Free Jack. Free Jack. Huh? What was what was the line again? I love it. Um, the, the spiritual switch. <laughs> There's this whole thing where like um, people when they die, their consciousness goes to this spiritual switchboard that's owned by this company, and they have a certain amount of time to migrate into another body. Oh. And if they don't, they're they're gone. Yeah, but if they've got enough money, they, I mean, it's just totally preposterous. Like it, it seemed kind of cool when it came out, but like looking back on it, it's just it's like the classic thing that happens with sci-fi. You know, we either sort of ridiculously overshoot or undershoot with sci-fi. It's how it all, you know, like like part of like half of it's just this. We went way too far. Like there's no way that we're not going to have clones you know, in 1994, there aren't going to be human clones walking around. There aren't going to be, you know, androids walking around that are going to take over everything. Um, but like, so that that aspect of it, um, you know, they totally overshot. I mean, they're taking a, a, a something, a conceit that's probably, gosh, I don't know. I mean, it seems thousands of years away at best, right? Yeah, I mean, people's consciousness being stored on a on a computer, but it's just kind of, but it's good. I mean, Mick Jagger's in it, and Anthony Hopkins is in it, so it's. I mean, do you know what you just? It's you just assigned my next my students for the winter quarter. You assigned them a movie to watch. Oh my god, Free Jack, (laughs) Free Jack, Free Jack. This week is Free Jack, people. Renee Russo in it. Buster Poindexter. Wow. It's a, yeah, dude. It's like it's like total like Renee Russo 80s, sexy 90s. too. That's that yeah. that's that's sexy Ray Russo Prime. Mick Jagger plays this this like a uh, mercenary dude named uh oh gosh, I don't remember what is it's it's something like short, like it's something that sounds kind of like free jack, <laughs> but like Ryback or or yeah. Partake or so you know, something like that, but Oh, I can't! Um, I can't wait to watch it, and I can't wait to make make my students watch it. And it's so funny because the students are all young, you know. So these are classic movies to them. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I think, right. I like, the Matrix, and they're like, "Oh, that classic!" <laughs> like, oh god. Isn't, the die. Matrix is so good. <laughs> the first Matrix is so good. It I was, really dug. You know, it was so good because we didn't know what it was. We didn't know what the story was, and I remember going to the theater yeah. and being blown away. And then now it's like part of mythology and it's just, there's a lot, most of the population knows what it is, but they don't know what it was to go to the theater and just know, okay, it's some sci-fi movie. We have no idea what it's right. Same with Fight Club. It was like, we didn't, I didn't know what that was going in. I didn't read the book before. And I went to the first matinee um, just because Brad Pitt's gorgeous, you know? (laughs) And then, and I was like, holy crap this is a great film and it's it, it, it was just beautiful to go in without knowing and then it be 
it became such a cultural phenomenon, you know? Yeah. I mean, kind of like, I felt like that about Terminator too. Um, mm-hmm. When I saw it, I was like, you know, this is a real movie. I mean, like the later Terminators, I mean, sort of feel the same way about the Matrix too. The Matrix kind of, kind of, you know, like the first one's really good. And then it sort of progressively just gets like sort of, you know, bloated and. Well, just, the, in the first one, we're learning. Yeah. You know, in the right. first one, we're learning what it is. And that's the be- beautiful part of it. And then when we know what it's, what it is, yeah, then it's just a franchise. Then it's like. The mystery's gone. Yeah. It's James Bond after that. It's just like, yeah. okay, here's the hero. Here's the villain. Did you Have you seen the new Bond movie? I haven't. I want to, though. I haven't seen it yet either. But yeah. I'm a I like big Dan- fan of the Daniel Craig Bond movies. I am too. I love him on every level. I mean, all I'm a, I'm a fan of all the Bond movies, but yeah. Obviously, given what um given what Pax Americana was about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, diving into the religion and politics, that's it makes sense that um you and Leland would have those conversations because you open those conversations in your book. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, so yeah, I mean, so it's, it's good. So we're, you know, I'm still working on that. Um, and I'm working on selling another book now. Um, yeah. It's, so how it's does called... that work? See, cause this is, this is a great question for the, the young writers out there who don't have anything published yet. If you're a writer and an editor at a publisher, then wouldn't you just submit your book to yourself for yourself so why wouldn't you do that well i tell you you wouldn't do it because it's vanity publishing sort of to start with um and like not to not to say that everything that's self-published is bad there is some stuff that winds up self-published that's really fucking good 0.0002 right yes but there's some of it yeah it's most of it i think is there's a reason why it's self-published like you should edit it again or or get a developmental editor or, or whatever i think that if you it's just like i mean it's like a gatekeeping thing to a certain extent but you know you got to go through all these levels and if you get through all the levels, the product is probably better. Um, Probably. I mean, not always, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I think I have, I have a few friends who've published a book of their own. Um, Like I, I have a, I have one friend who's got kind of a famous dad writer and he's published he published um, several books traditionally in New York with with big six five four whatever we're left with at this point, and at a certain point, um, there wasn't the demand anymore from big publishers because there weren't a lot of sales. So you know he he put out he self published a book. Now. You know, I mean, there so there are going to be examples where, you know, like I said, this guy's got the lineage and he sold a bunch of books. So he's probably, you know, the book prob the books he puts out as self-published probably don't suck yeah. because he's got his own standards. You know, he's already um, he's already put his stamp on the literary world. This is me. It, it would be like Stephen King going, you know what, I'm going to self-publish now. I don't think he would lose yeah. any audience. But right. I mean, that's the thing. Right. Like Stephen King. Right. Totally. Like, um, but yeah, you just you wouldn't do it because uh, you might be tempted to do it. um, But it's not a good idea. Also, because just simply people in the industry aren't going to take it as seriously either. You know, like uh, the reviewing places. awards they're just it's not they just don't do self-published stuff as um you know as on par with stuff that's and i mean that's a problem too because like if you're looking at it from like an indie lit world kind of perspective small publisher which with 713 definitely is um you know you you compete with that too 
that, yeah. you know, so like we, we pay a $200 honorarium and put out the book and split the profits with the author and we edit it, but it's out there. Whereas, you know, and, and there's no big marketing budget, whereas at a big publisher, you know, I mean, I have a friend who's uh, first novels getting ready to come out and he is working on a six figure deal for his first two novels. And this book is going to be huge. It's, I mean, it's just, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be massive. I mean, it's already got tons of reviews. The blurbs are from, you know, like, I mean, people like Stephen King, people like that. Those cool. are who the blurbs yeah. are from. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be a huge book. And, um, but they're just basically the, the machine is, is going on that book. I mean, the machine is moving. You got, he's got PR people that are just, I mean, you know, they've got a suite of clients and he's one of them and, and they're just working that book all the time and contests and just, you know, you know, pre-galleys and then galleys right, and then, right. you know, the special edition galley and, um, you know, so it's, 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 um, it's a challenging industry as, as, as you know, well, um, I think sometimes it's harder to get in with indie publishers and smaller publishers because they can't bring on as many authors there, there there's, so there's times when it, it would be harder to get in with a seven thirteen than a, than a larger publisher if, you know, right now is, is yeah. very hard. I mean, I think Leland, um, you know, he said this to me. He's like, I wish I could, I wish I could publish every book that I get that is worth publishing. And, and he feels like that's a pretty, pretty high number. Um, and you just, I mean, you just can't do it. I mean, it comes down to personal taste. Yeah. Really more than, I mean, and that's something that's really difficult to understand for beginning writers and even for, maybe not quite beginning writers, but it's really hard to get over. Like I had a, this, this new novel that I'm trying to sell. I, I had, um, I had it with an editor who wanted to buy it, but at a, at a publisher that would have been a good, good publisher for me, you know, at this stage in my career, it would have been a, a big step up and the EIC just didn't go for it. And there it goes, yeah. you know? Um, and so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you just, you just deal with stuff like that. And that's, uh, but that's just, that's just sort of the way it is. I mean, it's so much of it just boils down to personal taste. And I find that when I'm reading manuscripts now, you know, I'm looking at stuff and I'm like, this is fine. You know, it's, I'm sure there's somebody out there who would look at this and be like, this is the one. Yeah. This is the one I want. But it's not me. <laughs> yeah. That's the and problem. And at the same time, I think people don't understand how much love editors have for the, the written word. And, you know, everyone's a fan, even, even publicists. You know, I, I work with publicists who could be working in film and they could be making, making money. money. But they're but they're so passionate about books and authors that 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 yeah, yeah. it's so it's it's almost and that's just the love of it. It's almost like a joy even to get a no because you just you're just you just know that we're just around these people who are just you know I feel like like myself who are a little psychotically in love with books and 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 the novel and it just means everything to us and that's why we're in it. And where else would we be? <laughs> you know? It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good way to look at it too, because it really does, it helps a lot. It's, it's hard to look at, look at it like that when it's your manuscript that's on the line sometimes, but it's really important to try to see things like that for all writers really, because you're always gonna have disappointments. You know, I mean, even Stephen King, I'm sure, gets disappointed sometimes by things. Yeah. You know, 
life's disappointing and then we add you know being uh writers to it and there's a lot more disappointment coming it's it's part of the game it's why we all look at each other and um there's always yeah, cause, you know, i remember be, before i was published i had those eager eyes and then after i was published you get that kind of dead look in your eye like oh man it <laughs> happened and then you know it, you can see it, you're looking back yeah, at it. Yeah, and then you realize, oh, and then you're kind of part of the club where it's just like there was no parade. It was this, oh man, I'm on the next one. And why did I do this? Because I love it, but why? Oh, why? Why am I doing this? I could be yeah. doing something else, but there is nothing else because this is all I got. <laughs> yeah, yep, it's true. It's true. Um but, you know, there, there are small joys in there, too. There's, you know, you get to see a friend uh, make, a, make a big list or, you know, get nominated for a big award or, or, or sell a, you know, get a six-figure deal or something like that. So it's, it's almost seems like the, in some ways, the dream is more important than anything else. And then we get, and really. then I get, I get to talk to you for an hour about books. Yay. And other stuff. That's just, that's the joy of all of this. Thank you so much, Kurt, for coming on the show. Thanks, Tony. I really appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Awesome. Wonderful. Kurt Baumeister on Drinks with Tony. Check out his book, Pax Americana. Next week on the show, we have Daphne Gottlieb, and we'll be discussing her new book, Saint 1001. Thanks for listening. Keep on reading. Buy books for your family and friends for Christmas. A good story can change your life. I'll see you next week. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.